Hey everyone, this is Brian from the Tennis IQ Podcast. Josh and I hope that you are enjoying the content and discussions that we put out week after week. If you'd like to support the podcast and help us to continue to produce quality episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Currently, we have three tiers of support, the fan level at $3 per month, the supporter level at $7 per month, and the champion level at $20 per month. Benefits of joining the Tennis IQ podcast community include episode transcripts, participation in book club discussions, and access to monthly masterclasses with me and Josh. For more on these benefits of support, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast slash membership. Thank you so much. And now, on to the show. Tennis IQ podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about identity. Um, and we're actually going to be, um, some, some of this conversation is based on an article um, titled The Psychological Pitfalls of Tying Self-Worth and Happiness to Performance, which is from um, Kevin Lake and Michael Gervais. Um, and really the, this article, um, it, it kind of breaks down two different types of identity, a performance-based identity and a purpose-based identity. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, what each of those are. Um, and, you know, I think probably even by, by their names, people can probably start to guess, you know, what those are, but it's interesting because this is in fast company, which is more of a, you know, a business, um, a business publication. Um, and you know, Michael Gervais has done a lot of work on the sports psychology, sport and performance psychology side of things within businesses, within professional sports teams. I know he's done work with Red Bull, Michael Schumacher. Um, and, um, you know, and, and I, I think it's just interesting, interesting sort of way to, to look at things in terms of, you know, being able to break things down, because I think for a lot of people, and this is both true in business and sport. Um, I think people are conditioned to fall into this performance-based identity and view, you know, view themselves at, in terms of, okay, you know, my worth is tied to how I perform. And I think we're conditioned that way. I think in, in many ways, that's, that's almost the default state, but in this, they, the authors provide an alternative, um, a, the, you know, purpose-based identity and being able to you know, really prioritize that and prioritize, um, you know, making an impact, making a difference. And, you know, that the context of that can be, can be different, obviously. And, and, you know, really trying to, in a, maybe in a tennis context, can we really try to be clear about, um, you know, why we do what we do and, and, you know, be clear about some of these, you know, deeper level things where it's, you know, instead of it, it all being about winning and performance, you know, purpose being prioritized in a, in a greater way. So, um, really like this article and, uh, yeah, Brian wanted to see what, what some of your thoughts were, were on it. I also really liked it and underlined a lot about it. And so as I was reading it, Josh, and kind of finished it, it reminded me of some of the concepts we've talked about in the past, especially with, um, with purpose and look, taking an existential approach of looking at you know, your tennis game or tennis as a life project, not just about wins and losses, but this is something that has meaning for you 
is a passionate pursuit of something. I think for many of us, it's a passionate pursuit of trying to become the best that we can become. And, you know, that's not defined by wins and, and losses. So, and we've talked about the dangers of tying one's self-worth to results and performance. Um, even if we go back to, um, you know, sort of one of the great books in positive psychology, uh, Flow, you know, the, the Psychology of Optimal Experience by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He talks about how if competition is all about winning and losing, then the activity will lose enjoyment. You know, you, you as the, the participant will, will start to enjoy it less. Um, and so purpose is a really important part of this. And I think the cool thing about purpose is you get to choose what it is. You get to choose the meaning. And it doesn't have to make sense to someone else. It just has to make sense. It just has to work for you so that it can become a passionate pursuit, a passionate project for you. Um, when I read about the performance-based identity, I think this gives a name, Josh, to something that we see every day. Um, you know, as you mentioned, this is more of a business publication. And there was a notion that this identity is, is newer. Maybe it's newer to the workplace, but I think from a tennis perspective, this is kind of normal. You know, when we, when we talk about how we think about wins and losses and their effect on our confidence, their effect on uh, how we think about ourselves. Yeah, I think that's pretty normal, especially in a sport which is either one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two. -two. There's a lot of individuality that goes, goes with it. There's such natural comparisons with rankings and ratings that it's, I mean, just the environment is just set up for you to base your identity on how you perform, to base your confidence on how you perform. So, um, you know, how that's changed in the work world is very interesting, you know, and I think, um, you know, that, that is, that's changed a lot over the last 50 to 60 years. Uh, and it's probably fostered more of a climate that requires people to be more performance-based, given that, you know, you kind of have to look out for yourself more than you would have in, in, in the past. Um, you know, how people are ranked and reviewed in corporations. Uh, can be a competitive process. I know that it, that was the case uh, for me in, in my corporate days that, you know, there was a sort of a, what they call the stack ranking. So certain people had to be rated at the top, number, another percentage had to be in the middle, another percentage at the bottom. And so it just sort of naturally led you to compare yourselves to others and then to have conversations with your boss about why you were better than somebody else in your group. And it's, so I think the, the environment has fostered more and more of this in our society. Um, and I think it was really good for the article to call it out and to try to help people understand the difference um, and perhaps why the purpose-based perspective, the purpose-based identity is a healthier way of looking at yourself than the performance-based one. Yeah, I think it's healthier. I think it's more sustainable. Um, you know, they, um, the authors talk about sort of this almost finish line approach to that that performance-based identity um where which is something that we've talked about in the past like when we've talked about the book atomic habits by james clear he talks about how you know if if the goal for instance is to run a 5k or a half marathon or whatever it is 
then okay, I'm going to train, I'm going to train, and I'm going to train until that day of the race, and I'm going to run the race, and then my goal has been achieved. Where instead, if the goal is more about I want to be a runner and and putting that identity piece first, then okay, I've run that 5K, I've run that half marathon, whatever it is, but this is just a milestone. Where in, in this article, they talk about that same idea. And I, I'm quoting here, they say, in theory, if we if we perform successfully, we'll feel good about ourselves. If I can close that deal, if I get that promotion, if I get through that to-do list, if I make the honor roll, if I'm the top sales agent again this year, if I want to win our local club tournament, if I win Wimbledon, if my social post goes viral, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think a lot of people think this way. You know, it's almost this never ending finish line that, okay, in order for me to be successful, I need to achieve this and I need to achieve this. And okay, that's great. I did this, but now, now what's next? Where instead, you know, I think there, there is an alternative perspective where it's, you know, can, can we, can we live lives? Can we try to perform in a way that's anchored more around our purpose and and more about, you know, what are we trying to do and having some of those, those questions a little bit more clearly defined where it's not just about this one milestone or this one achievement, you know, those will come and that's, that's great. Um, but it's more about, you know, that, that sort of life project, that life project where, you know, I'm trying to be the best tennis player that I can be. I'm trying to, you know, see, you know, try to really go for mastery in some of these different aspects, right? If we think about tennis, can I master the strength and conditioning aspect of the game? Can I try to get as close to mastering the mental aspect of the game? Can I try to master my technique? Can I try to master how well I can compete when I'm out there? You know, can I take more of that mastery approach, sort of that, that life project approach where, hey, I want to try to do as, you know, I want to be the best player I can be. I want to do as much as I can with this sport. And that becomes, you know, and, and maybe for each person, there's that's slightly different in terms of, you know, what their purpose is or why they're doing it in the first place. But, you know, then it becomes more about that. And it doesn't, it's not just about, you know, sort of, I think they say in the article, almost like a, a random assortment of competitors, right? Like, you know, and I think this is true in that business context that you talk about, Brian, you know, where it's, okay, I'm, I'm in this corporate setting and there's these different people that I work with and, you know, in a certain way that's random. I can't control or choose who I'm, who I'm working with, but I get compared to these people and ranked against them. Um, and it's the same thing ultimately in competitive tennis where you're going to play matches and you're going to play matches against people who are, you know, maybe better or at a higher level, people who are at a lower level, people around your level, or maybe higher, lower ranked or rated. But ultimately, that's kind of random. That's out of your control. That's just sort of that random smattering. Ultimately, you know, if you can view it as the competition is more so yourself and doing your your best, then, you know, then it becomes more about mastery. It becomes more about that purpose piece rather than just, okay, I'm trying to beat whoever happens to be on the other side of the net for me. Yeah. And I think it's worthwhile talking about some indications that perhaps performance-based identity has become a little bit too much a part of who you are. And I think the biggest one that I see, Josh, is avoidance of practice matches or playing tournaments. Because though there's a risk of failure there. And for all the things that you just said, they're present there. They're present in practice matches. They're present in um, 
you know, match play groups that are present in, in tournaments. Um, and you can't control it. Um, you know, what if you play somebody you beat the last time? Whoa, now I have to play them again? That, that could be a threat to how I feel about myself. And so, so as you ponder this, as you think about this performance-based identity, if you, if you notice yourself avoiding challenges that could be really great learning opportunities, but you're avoiding them because you don't want to lose, because there's a risk of failure there, then that's something to really think a little bit more deeply about. Well, why am I playing this sport? Um, what is my purpose? For this, you know, we talk a lot about mastery, but you know, as you were speaking, Josh, earlier, it reminded me of Andre Agassi and how you know for a long time he hated tennis, and I think one of the things that really helped him to rededicate to tennis was purpose, was this idea of you know building a school in Las Vegas, a charter school that would help young kids and. Now, now he's playing for that. Now he's playing for the funding of that. Uh, and that's a fantastic purpose. We're not all in a position necessarily to do that. But, you know, I had a student some years ago as well who used her tennis to um, work for charitable, um, do some charitable work. And that was really meaningful to her because, you know, she had a family relative that had been involved with this particular charity um, and she really wanted to do that. So that was something that really drove her. Is that something that would drive every one of us? Maybe not. But that's why the purpose that you choose only has to be understood by you. It doesn't have to be portable to everyone. Now, mastery is something we can all work on, but there might be other bigger reasons. Uh, so I think, you know, if we're, we're avoiding certain challenging situations because there's a risk of failure, that's, that's one sign that our identity is a little bit too tied to the performance-based side of things. Um, you know, if we start rationalizing maybe why we lost based on sort of selected evidence, if we start um, maybe not even looking at our losses because we just don't want to even deal with it, right? We're missing opportunities again for learning there. Um, and another indication that... Uh, we're we're a little bit too much performance based, you know. When before we started recording, yeah, you know, we were talking about how I don't think this has to be one or the other. I think a sport like tennis, there's going to be a certain amount of the way the sport is that how you feel about yourself. Part of it's going to be driven by performance. It's just about how much, and then how much can be driven by purpose. It's very similar to motivation in which. It's practically impossible to be 100% intrinsically motivated. There are always things that we want to do that are sort of external to that. And I think the same goes for, you know, this particular identity. We all want to maybe beat a certain player to a certain degree, or we want to win a certain event or a league, or we want to go to nationals. And these are great things for us to strive for, but they should come underneath the umbrella of purpose. Um, and so I think it's good to, you know, just examine perhaps how much am I using performance to determine how I feel about myself and is that, is that healthy? What are some of the challenges with that? There's a really good quote from um, 
a leadership development professor at uh, University of Southern California, Ben Holtberg. It says, one of the most significant consequences of performance-based identity is that it requires people to devote cognitive and behavioral effort to maintaining their identity in the face of asymmetries. And I think asymmetries meaning kind of conflicting forces, adversity, etc. right? And so we're <clears throat> in some ways rationalizing, maybe making excuses, making, trying to control the situation more than we really need to, just to support this identity, just to support this feeling good about myself. And I think it's a very, you know, interesting way of looking at it. Um, and then also, you know, interrogating for yourself, okay, how much am I basing how I feel about myself on performance? Totally, totally. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it, it's very easy to, to do that because, you know, also the people that were around tend to see things in terms of performance. And we get, you know, we get credit based on, based on our performance, people compliment us based on our performance. You know, sometimes there's other impacts, you know, whether it's making it onto a team or a scholarship or prize money or, you know, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's very easy to, to, to think in this way, but I think there's a lot of drawbacks where I think it's almost this, I guess we could say almost like a hedonic treadmill where it's, it's never enough. It's, it's, it's never enough. Okay. I win this tournament, but now what's next. Right. And okay. And then I, I win this match. Okay. But then what's next where instead, if it's like, no, this, you know, that that's all great, but I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm striving for something bigger. I'm striving to, you know, be the best that I can be. And, and that's, I, I understand what that process looks like. I think that's a, a more, yeah, I think that's a more sustainable way of looking at things. I think it, it it helps handle those ups and downs better because every player goes through ups and downs. Every player has injuries and every player has matches that they lose that they feel like they should win or maybe slumps where that, that happens for a longer period of time or, you know, other sorts of things that, that pop up. And I think if, if our identity is too based on performance, then, you know, then, those th those moments of turbulence those ups and downs those those slumps those lost matches those injuries can really impact you know how we feel about ourselves you know if if we identify just as tennis players and just as okay i'm a good player and and that's that's who i am then you know when we hit moments like that it, it really can shake us to our core and it really can can you know feel like that's everything where instead, if this is, you know, tennis is something that I do, tennis is my life project, tennis is something that I'm good at and I've spent a lot of time on, but it's not it's not everything, then, you know, we're able to handle those moments and sort of take them take them in stride, I think, a little bit more. I think we could look at also sort of validation and approval as a, as a part of this, meaning wins provide validation, praise provides validation, <clears throat> excuse me, and approval of what we're doing. Um, but again, that's not controllable. And the idea of a purpose-based identity is to try to insulate yourself a little bit, insulate your how you feel about yourself from the need for external validation. And, you know, wins are external. Praise is certainly external. So that's one reason to, to, to do that, to, to make sure that 
the wins and losses and, and what other people think don't affect how you feel about yourself as much. And instead, can we bring it back to the identity, which you mentioned earlier, Josh, with different identity, but like the James Clear identity. I'm a runner. I'm a tennis player. Okay. If I'm a tennis player, what are the important values and behaviors that I want to commit to as a tennis player? And can I then evaluate a large part of my performance on how I conducted myself with respect to those values and those behaviors? And if I do that, right, that's controllable, then I can be, you know, hopefully satisfied, proud of myself for having done that in the face of adversity. Or if I didn't do it, I can at least learn from it. And this is an opportunity to be to bring some self-compassion here, um, because what we're all doing is hard. Tennis is hard. It's it's a natural challenge. If we don't execute something exactly as we wanted to, that doesn't mean we're bad. Um, we're bad players. We're bad people. It just shows that we have an opportunity to get better. And some, bringing some self-compassion to that can help you realize that you don't need to criticize yourself. Um, because this is a, you know, hopefully a lifelong pursuit. So if we could shift away from external validation and approval and more toward internal assessments of how we're doing with our own values, behaviors, um, et cetera, you know, what we think is important, then I think we can develop a healthier relationship with our sport, a healthier relationship with competition. So competition, as you said, Josh, is not doesn't have to be me versus someone else. This is me comparing myself to me. And how am I doing in this in this pursuit? We know that our competitors, really, they make us better. They are the challenge. They're not the enemy. And so the more I think we can foster attitudes and beliefs around purpose, you know, healthier conceptualizations of competition the better we have a chance of of managing our identity in a really positive way so that it can become more controllable and we can fulfill whatever purpose we are trying to fulfill in our, in our project. Totally. Totally. And I, I I like that um, you brought this up in the article mentioned as well, sort of seeing it as a filter, seeing it as a filter to make decisions where, okay, if I, if my purpose is, um, you know, like Agassiz, okay, I, you know, to, to start a, you know, to, to start a charter school for kids, you know, to, to maybe have them, you know, have a better childhood, you know, and maybe a more fulfilling childhood than, than he had in certain ways. Um, you know, or if I'm, if I have a really clear, deep seated purpose, then it makes it a lot easier to make decisions because it's, you know, it, it, it's like, okay, if, I, if I'm deciding what I want to do on a particular day or if I'm deciding how I want to try to prepare for my match, right? If my, if my purpose is to be the best player that I can be and I have this match coming up, okay, how I choose to prepare, I can, you know, sort of run that through that filter. Okay, if I know what my purpose is. Therefore, am I doing everything that I can do to be the best player that I can be? Or, you know, if it's Agassiz, you know, am I doing everything that I can do to to make a difference for these kids, right? So I think purpose makes it a lot easier to to make certain decisions and to, you know, sort of orient our lives in a way that is that is based on that purpose. 
It would be interesting to apply this to maybe the article we discussed in our previous episode with the lifestyle challenges of pro players, um, because there are certain s systemic things in the in the pro tennis world, such as you know point, ranking points dropping off after a year. Do I keep playing with injuries? Uh, you know, do I play through this stuff? Um, and I do think it would be helpful. I think it would be the kind of thing where you would, as a pro player, need to work with, uh, you know, a sports psych professional or a coach who really understood the idea of, of purpose and what we're really trying to achieve long term. Because I think even in that article, Josh, we saw a lot of performance-based um, identity types of things. The money, the approval, etc., um, and for those who haven't seen Eric Buderak's TEDx talk, definitely encourage you to, to watch it. You know, basically, I think it's called Don't Dream Big. Um, his way of doing it actually shielded him from some of that performance-based identity because it wasn't about wins and losses. It was about improvement, day-to-day -day improvement, embracing the daily struggle, etc., uh, so I think even for players who are in, let's say, more difficult circumstances because of the system, like pro players, bringing a purpose-based approach could certainly be helpful. Uh, but it's something I think you would need to work on with, a, with a, again, with a coach who understood that. Um, like it, you know, David Samuel strikes me as a guy who totally gets that. Um, we had him on the podcast some time ago. Um, or a sports psych professional who understands the, the difference between these two. Um, so I think that this is, is attainable for everybody who plays tennis, regardless of, of level and, and what your perhaps achievement dreams are. Can you also establish a purpose dream? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's absolutely right. And I think that it takes time, right? The, the first time somebody picks up a racket, they're not going to, they're not going to know. They're, they're not going to know, okay, what is their purpose? It takes time to develop that. I think it takes some structure, like like what you're saying, Brian. I think working with, you know, working with a sports psychology professional, talking through with a coach, you know, somebody that, that really focuses on this sort of thing, I think really makes a big difference as it relates to, um, yeah, being able to to be clear about that. Because I think if if that's not clear, then it's very easy to fall into this, I would say, trap of just viewing things through a, you know, a performance-based uh, perspective. So, you know, and, and sort of viewing our identity in that way. And and I think that identity can be very fragile. You know, it, it's that identity can be just based on our latest result. Okay. If I, and, and I think actually this is, you know, going back to one of our earliest episodes, episode two, we had Brian Barker on um, who, you know, worked with James Blake for, I think right around 15 years, you know, he got up to number four in the world. Um, also Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, mm -hmm. uh, local, but, um, yeah, you know, they, they talk about how, um, you know, or, or he, sorry, he, he talked about how, you know, we can't try to, we can't view ourselves just through our results, right. Where, okay, I win a point, I'm a winner. Now I lose a point. You know, what does that say about me? I guess I'm a loser. Then I win the next point. Okay. I'm a winner. And then I lose, and then it's you know it's very easy to sort of ride that emotional roller coaster of winning and losing based on points within a match or based on matches in general. And you know the same can be said in terms of 
other results in life, right? Whether that's in a professional context, whether that's in a number of different contexts, it's very easy to sort of judge ourselves just based on those results and sort of ride that emotional roller coaster and, and take those ups and downs and, you know, and sort of just judge ourselves based on that most recent result, which I think a lot of people do. But there is a there is another way, and I th- I think that other way, as you know, as as we're saying, is um, is I think in a lot of ways preferable. I think it, it's more sustainable. It's more resilient. It's more, you know, it, it equips you more to handle you know the ups and downs and twists and turns that that are inevitable that that everybody experiences ultimately. And I think it you know it it it, it equips you for the long run. It equips you for this sort of life project that tennis really can be. I think Brian Barker is a great example, Josh, because now he's fortunate that his parents set the context for him as a junior player that they were not going to emphasize winning. They emphasized for him, and I think this took a lot of pressure off, to simply be the best person he could be, to have fun out there, right? To be a great kid. And Maybe they kind of ported that purpose onto him a little bit, but it's a great purpose. So how he's assessing himself isn't so much on wins and losses as a junior. And he, in New England, is one of, you know, one of the greatest junior tennis records that we have here. Um, and then he goes on to play for the University of South Carolina, which at you know, the time was the top 15 team. Still a great tennis program, men's tennis program. Um, but that... That idea of simply becoming the best person you can be and, and acting that way on the court, so much more controllable, so much less pressure. And I believe, I could be wrong, but you could listen back to that, that episode, but I believe Brian was number one in every single age group. I think he was number one in the 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s. You know, that's not easy to do. Lots of, because a lot of body changes happen between 12 and 16, and, and it's hard to do it in all of those categories. Uh, but he did that. And, you know, he also noted that in college, lost it a little bit and his game suffered. But when he brought it back to being the best person he could be, his game flourished again. So glad you mentioned that, Josh. That, that would be a good episode for people to listen to in terms of thinking about what is my purpose-based identity. What is my purpose? What is something that I could legitimately buy into that would work for me. Um, you know, we, we can always give people ideas, but it really has to come from you, has to feel authentic to you as the player, or else it won't be a powerful motivator. Totally, totally. And, and it's, it's so much more controllable, right? I, I, you know, it really is so much more controllable where you can go into a match and you can play your best tennis and you can lose. And I've had that experience. I think probably most people have had that experience. And if we're viewing things solely through performance, okay, I, I went out there, I played my best, I lost. Does that make it a, a failure? Did did I did I did I fail out there in my match? Right. I mean, what if I'm playing somebody who's, you know, a level or multiple levels above me? And I lost, but I played great and I, I made it competitive and I did everything I could do. You know, I, I think we need to be able to see that as success. And we need to, you know, if, if we're just viewing things as performance, it's very easy to to not because it's it becomes all about 
all about winning and losing. And yeah, I, I think Brian is, is a, a great example of that. And, you know, I, I've known him, you know, from, you know, b- back, back in the day when, you know, he was one of the coaches where I, where I would train and, you know, it was, it was awesome having him on the podcast. And I would, I would definitely encourage people to check out episode two where, where we interviewed him. Um, but I think it, it really, you know, I, th- I think he also made the point that it takes a lot of pressure off, right? If one, if two people are playing and one person is saying, you know, I'm trying to be the best person I can be, the best player I can be. Um, and the other person is saying, yeah, I'm trying to be the best person and player I can be, but I'm, I really, I need to win. Then that, then player two is going to feel a lot more pressure. And I think for most people, most, most people, when you're experiencing that pressure, when you're experiencing, you know, those sorts of thoughts, that doesn't tend to lead to your best tennis. That doesn't tend to help. And so I think, you know, that that first player is probably going to win a lot more. They're able to take some of the pressure off. They're able to really focus on what's most important. And I, I don't think there are things that are more important than being, you know, being the best person you can be. And, you know, in a tennis context, trying to do your best and be the best player you can be. So just to fact check, Brian was number one in New England in the 14s, 16s, and 18s, not the 12s. Um, just went back to our episode notes on that. Uh, so if we were to help somebody develop purpose, Josh, what might be some questions or exercises that would you know, provoke some thoughts relative to purpose, you think? Yeah, um, and, and I think it's, it's an important thing to do early on. Um, but I think being able to... Um, try to work with a player on, you know, why do they, why do they play in the first place? Yeah. Right. I think that can be an important starting point. What do they enjoy about the sport? Um, think, try to help them think back to particular moments where they've enjoyed the sport more, or maybe, you know, what have been some of the, maybe the most satisfying moments for them as a player, whether that's wins, whether that's other matches, whether that's just periods of time, um, so I, w- I would say that is an important starting point. I think also being able to dig in a little bit deeper into their values and, you know, can, can they identify certain values and then, you know, and then try to think about, okay, are those values in line with how I'm operating on a daily basis? And then I think, you know, those values can turn into that sort of filter where it comes, you know, that, that sort of purpose-based approach that, that we're talking about here. So, so anyways, those are, those are a few things that, that I, you know, would look at um, relatively early on with, with the player to sort of build that, that foundation. Um, how, how about you? Well, I completely agree with what you said. And um, I think Dr. Jim Lair does a lot of work on, on the purpose side of things. So his book, The Power of Story, is, a, is an excellent framework for developing some of this purpose for yourself. Um, he has another book called The Only Way to Win, which is um, a lot about character and, and, and competing in the right way. So I, I would point people to those works. Um, but I like what you're saying, Josh. You know, let's figure out why you play. Why do you compete? Um, let's talk about competition. We've talked many times on this podcast about healthy definitions of that. Well, let's talk about that. That, I know, is one of the first conversations I have with tennis players. Uh, to understand the relationship between enjoyment, learning, and and the desire to win. Um, talk about definitions of success. You know, maybe refer back to John Wooden's definition of success. Um, we could talk about how you want to be viewed at the end of your career. You know, describe yourself 
let's say we're inducting you into a Hall of Fame. Well, what do you want people to say, both on the kind of ethical character side as well as you as an individual player? Um, I think these are just some interesting questions and exercises that people can do. And, and, it's, and if they put a lot into it, you know, if you just write one sentence, you're not going to get a lot out of those exercises. But if you can really thoughtfully interrogate just how you feel about it, you can you can really begin to to elicit some real purpose for yourself. Um, there's another guy who does story, happens to live in your town, uh, Bob Litwin, who has uh, been a national and world champion in, in several age groups. He has a book called Live the Best Story of Your Life. Very much, I, th- I want to say, based on the work of, of Jim Lair, but it's also a helpful, helpful uh, construct to look at in terms of developing real purpose for for why you play and he has a powerful story um and i would definitely recommend that book so i think these these questions are great starters and then even if you want to go further um some of the books i just mentioned would really would help you develop that purpose um, for your tennis and your tennis project totally and i think i think learning from learning from others learning from the greats you know reading Reading Andre Agassi's book, Open, right, or or reading, you know, the biographies or, or autobiographies of tennis players, other athletes, other individuals, and seeing, you know, seeing what they went through, seeing maybe how they found purpose in their own lives, and and the impact that that had. Um, so I think you know we can when when it comes to you know finding purpose, I think it can be inspired by by different sources, and I think you know reading from you know, the, the stories of the greats can, can be a nice, a nice source for that as well. For sure. For sure. So I think it's been an interesting discussion, Josh, but, you know, before we close, is there any, any last thoughts for the listeners? No, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it all starts with recognizing that it can't all, it can't be all about winning and losing. Yeah. We all want to win. We all want to try to do whatever we can to win and be competitive. Sorry, and, and be you know competitive, but also be the best competitors we can be. And I think we've talked in the past about sort of the the difference there between just being competitive, being like, okay, I want to win, being the best competitor, really being, um, you know, am I doing everything in my power to make that to give myself the best possible chance to make that happen? But um, you know, it, it can't be all about that. So I think being able to dig a little bit deeper, being able to come up with, you know, why am I doing this? Why is this meaningful? Why is this impactful? And operating from that sort of a perspective is, is, you know, is the key to, um, you know, more of a, um, more of a sustainable, more of a resilient way of looking at things. And I think that will have a, you know, a, a greater impact on, on, you know, on each person ultimately, because it, it gives them a, an easier way to, to operate rather than this sort of, you know, default state of, um, yeah, of just seeing things through wins and losses and just judging ourselves based on performance. I always appreciate these conversations that we have, Josh, about purpose and character, because I, I you know, I think one of the overall goals of, of sport, maybe not a goal, but a positive outcome of sport can be developing yourself as a, you know, with good character, as a, as a good, strong person. And, and, and that's obviously how we're, we're promoting tennis as, you know, it's beyond just hitting a, a yellow ball between lines. Uh, Cause that sounds a bit absurd anyway. Uh, so, you know, at the same time, can we be using 
the, the sort of unnecessary obstacles that tennis presents us as a means of building who we are. Um, and so I really appreciate these, these types of conversations. And so I found this article fascinating. So thank you for that. And that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the content that Josh and I discuss on the show, please rate and review the podcast so other tennis enthusiasts can find it more easily. Additionally, to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube. And you can also check us out on Instagram. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash tennisiqpodcast slash membership, where you can learn about the benefits of being part of the Tennis IQ podcast community. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.